All right, Grandpa owns a 1980 vintage red Mustang convertible. And over and over, he promises, he promises his granddaughter, he's like, you know, someday that's your car. When they're in the garage, she says it in front of her parents. She sa- he says it in front, he says it in front of her parents. He says it in front of uh, cousins. This little girl has known the Mustang would be hers. And she becomes a young woman. And Grandpa, unfortunately, goes on to, well, or fortunately, goes on to heaven. And everybody knows that the Mustang belongs to the granddaughter. But no one bothered writing it down. And so the executive of the will, he just makes a decision and he leaves the Mustang to the 92-year-old brother of the grandpa, the 92-year-old brother who doesn't drive anymore. So on paper, the Mustang is the granddaughter's. But everybody knows that the promise was to the granddaughter. I want you to remember that story when we read the scripture in a couple of minutes ago. In a couple of minutes. Cindy's back to remind me of all my flubs today. Welcome back, Cindy. (laughs) We're in a series in Galatians. And today's message, you're not going to forget the title because the title is this, Lottie. We're talking about the law again. And they're like, okay, why are we talking about the law again? Well, a lot of you like it when I go verse by verse through the Bible. Well, Paul wrote this letter to a group of churches in Galatians, and he kept saying the same thing over again in new ways. Because it was important that they receive this point. So what the Holy Spirit's doing in us as a congregation, he's saying kind of the same theme in different ways with different emphasis. Because I could have just said, hey guys, it's about law. Faith is from grace. You know, salvation is through grace and faith, not law. That's what the book of Galatians says. So read it and let's move on to something else. But this recurrence in the book of Galatians is is pointing out something really important. And and it's, it's drilling deep inside misconceptions because it's so easy to have a works-based salvation. And it's so easy to step into um, legalism. And and it's so easy to not really give credit to Christ for what he's done. So I'm gonna ask you four questions about the law. Lottie, (laughs) the purpose of the law. And so here's the first question when we get the purpose of the law. When, and this is an important part, when when was salvation given? When was faith given? And the timing of when the law was given was a really important argument that Paul used to nullify the law or to say that the law wasn't operating like it used to. So here's our text for today, our part of our text, starting Galatians chapter three, we're in verse 15. Brothers and sisters, I'm using a human illustration. No one sets aside or makes additions to a validated human will. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say into seeds as though referring to many, but referring to one and your seed who is Christ. That's a really complicated verse, but it's pointing to the fact that Jesus was planned way beforehand. And even when Abraham, God gave Abraham a promise, Jesus was in mind. 
verse 17. My point, and this is where we get to the timing part. The law, which came 430 years later, does not invalidate a covenant previously established. So he's saying this, that God made a promise to Abraham. And then 430 years after that, or a long time after that, he used, the, the, he used 430 in this dating time. A long time after that, then God gave the law. So the, the law doesn't produce faith because 430 years before the law was given, faith came, the promise came through faith. So verse 18, for if the inheritance is based on the law, it's no longer based on the promise. But God has graciously given it to Abraham through the promise. Grandpa promised the convertible to his granddaughter. And then years and years later, some lawyer who didn't know the promise, you know, said, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it to someone. It belongs to someone else. But everyone who had heard the promise didn't care about the paperwork. And even the 92-year-old great uncle couldn't drive. So leaving him, the Mustang, would do him no good. It, it, was, it, was, it was just, it was a document that really didn't work. It, it wasn't the best. So the promise is stronger than the document. And Paul is saying right here, he's saying, you Judaizers who love the law and you love the laws upon the laws, Guys, you have to remember 430 years before the laws came, God made the promise and that promise was Christ and Christ is for everybody who believes in him. This is a beautiful, beautiful picture. I was in downtown Fort Worth, Texas. In case you're ever there, you can use this as a warning. And I'm at downtown Fort Worth, Texas and there's a red light and no one's coming. I mean, no one's coming at all. And so what do you do when no one's coming and you're at a red light? You turn right. He turned right on red. You guys might remember that for drivers, from driver's ed. So I turned right, and sure enough, I look up, and, and police pull me over. And, and I'm like, well, what did I do? And so this officer came up and said, um, you made an illegal turn. I thought, it was not illegal. Everyone knows that you can turn right on red, right, if no one's coming and it's safe. It's, it's that way all across the world. And this officer said, well, this was a five-way stop, not a four-way stop. And in Texas, at a five-way stop, you cannot turn right on red. And then a ticket was written for me. And I just got out of the spirit and into the flesh for quite a while there. <laughs> so here's the deal. I didn't know that law but I broke the law. And even though I didn't know the law, I broke the law and I was guilty. Now that I know, the next time I'm in down, downtown Fort Worth and I'm at that intersection, I know not to do that. But I'm still guilty. This leads me to the next question. Is a question of why was the law given? So if the law is no good, the law is no good, and it's really not that important. Why was it given? Well, it was given so that it would point us to Jesus, and it was given as a transition point. Here's verse 19. 
It asks the same question I just asked. Why then was the law given? It was added for the sake of transgression. So it was added because people sin. It was added so people would know what sin is. If we didn't have the law, we wouldn't know what sin was. Our conscience would know some things are, are natural. We, 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 we defy natural law when we murder and we do certain things. And so our conscience, the book of Romans chapter 1 says it's a law of its own. But specifically, the law helps us know what transgressions are until the seed. Notice how if you're looking on the screen, the S is capitalized until Jesus, the seed, to whom the promise, would, the promise was made would come. The law was put in fact through angels by means of a mediator. By the way, that mediator, in case you don't know, is Moses. Now, Moses, our mediator, is not just for one person alone, but God is one. That's a very complicated verse. And so as soon as other theologians figure, is the law therefore contrary to God's promises? Absolutely not. For if the law had been granted with the ability to give life, then righteousness would certainly be on the basis of the law. I mean, these are, Paul was a scholar. And that's why some people said, hey, when I listen to Paul speak, he's not easy to understand. I want to listen to Peter. He makes it plain. So, so the, the, these are dense scriptures. But they're pointing out an important fact that the law does have a purpose. The purpose is not to give life, but it's to point us to why we need life. The law is not what brings the life of God to us, but it lets us know we need Jesus who is the life of God. So the Mosaic law was, was a law that was conditioned between a cause and effect. God says, you're going to do these things and then I will do this for you. But the Abrahamic covenant that we're under, it was one-sided. And God says, I'm doing this for you. I am the one that's initiating all things. So we know in our country that laws that don't apply to everyone are not good. That, that, that's, that's something that we're, we, we work through and, and we have a long history. And th- th- this is a historically, I'm, I'm giving this context historically, that we have a long history of restricting voting, you know, restricting voting for African-Americans, restricting voting for women at one time. And, and that, that's, that's a long history of that. And so, you know, there, there's been a unilateral look at voting rights through the years. And 1964 made a huge difference in that. With, with the Civil Rights Act of 1964. And so, you know, the, the idea is every citizen should vote. That's why, you know, it doesn't, know, it doesn't matter how, how much you research all this stuff. I mean, my, my, my 18-year-old son, he had just as much, he, you know, just as much right as I did. He voted, I voted. So that, that's, that's how we are in America. I probably shouldn't have used that illustration today because that's going to get everybody boiling and stuff. But we'll just go on, Okay. So, but religious rights are important too. And we have to watch this because right now, if we're not careful, only a secular worldview is accepted in our culture. And so a religious worldview, and for us, a Christian worldview is important. And it's an important part of who we are as Americans. 
And, and really, even other religions, their worldview is important too. That's what religious liberties are. It's not just Christian liberties, it's religious liberties. So when our country was founded, whether you were a Quaker in Pennsylvania or a Catholic in Maryland, or whether you were a, a Baptist in Connecticut or Virginia, or you were Episcopal everywhere else, everyone still had the same religious liberties. And so now, you know, we can't just say everyone has to have a secular worldview. That's not going to work for me. So I say all of this. So if a law is only good if you have a secular worldview and does not include a religious worldview, it's not a good law. A law should apply to all people. So now we go back to the law that we're talking about here in Galatians. Who for? That's the next question. Who for? Look at verse 22. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin's power. So that the promise might be given on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were confined. or It's like we were fenced in, is what it's saying. We were fenced in under the law. Imprisoned until the coming faith was revealed. Verse 22, looking at that again, it says, A scripture imprisoned everything under sin's power. So we know this is that, that the law, the law makes everyone guilty, and that's why everyone needs Jesus. Romans chapter 7, verse 7. If you're following on U version, this is not in U version, so you'll have to make a, your own note. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful or the law sin? Absolutely not. On the contrary, this is reinforcing. Paul wrote this in Romans, a different book to a different group of people, but the same message. I would not know what sin is if it were not for the law. For example, I would not have known what it is to covenant if the law had not said, do not covenant. That's why it is important that we teach our kids the 10 commandments. It is important that Society knows the Ten Commandments, which is the basis of all, all Western law. Because we don't know what sin is without a standard. And we don't know what sin is without the law. And so the law serves as something very good for us. Because we're arrogant. And we think our own morality and, and our own discipline and humanism itself believes with the notion, it starts with the notion that mankind is good. Orthodox Christianity or traditional Christianity starts with the concept of original sin, that we are bad. I wouldn't have chosen those words, but after I said it, I wanted to qualify it because I was like, we are bad. And everybody's like, oh, that, that sounds mean. Because we've been conditioned to think we're good. We're not bad in the sense that we are created in God's image and we're the glory of his creation, but we inherit sin. And that gives us this tendency to do really, really bad things. Maybe you don't have those tendencies, so congratulations. The rest of humanity does. And how do we know that? Because the law tells us what sin is. Romans 3.23 says this, the righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Verse 23, 
Sorry about that. I put 20, I read 22. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So since I messed that up for a media guy, let's go back to verse 22 again. (laughs) Sorry, Jeremy. The righteousness of God is through what? Faith. In Jesus Christ to all who believe. It's for everyone since there is no distinction. Praise God for that. Verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's bad news until you know the good news. (laughs) The gospel is good news for Jesus is for everyone. And salvation is for everyone, not for the elite, not for the special, not for even the moral or disciplined. It's for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. They will be saved. So what's the value? That's That's a question. What's the value then? What's the value of the law? Verse 24. The law then was our guardian. Now I want you to highlight that word or notice that word. The, the, the meaning of this word in the original language was it was like a, a slave who watched over a child. The slave was the guardian to the child. And, and he, would, he would have a level of authority over the child, but he was not the parent. He was just the guardian. We might see this as in contemporary times because thank God we don't have slavery anymore. We might see this as a teacher. And so you, can, you send your kids to school and your teacher, the teacher who teaches your child, they're not the parent, they're not the guardian, but for those five or six hours, they have a measure of authority. And that measure of authority over that child has value, but they're not, still not a son. They're still not a daughter. So he's saying here, the law then was our guardian. Our, the law was our fourth grade teacher until Christ so that we could be justified by faith, not works. Verse 25, but since that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. We, we, we're not under the fourth grade teacher anymore. That, that's how it used to be. This, this system that kind of worked, but really didn't work. It really wasn't satisfactory. It wasn't permanent. It might've been good for recess and lunch and arithmetic, but it, it wasn't good for, get, for putting us to bed and sending us to college in 15 years. It wasn't good for that. Verse 26, for through faith, you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. For those of you who were baptized in Christ, this is good, have been clothed with Christ. By the way, if you haven't been baptized in water, you need to do that. You need to do that. And I want you to do that. I want you to want to do that. I want you to want to be baptized. Okay, so I don't, I don't wanna twist your arm, but like, why not? If you, if you love Jesus, why not? And if you're like, I'm scared to get in the tank in front of all these people, we'll, we'll do it another way. We'll do it in front of three or four people. You only need one witness. We'll, we'll make it happen. But it's important because when you're baptized in Christ, you've been clothed with Christ. You're, you're part of the family. You're, you're publicly saying, I'm a son. I'm a daughter. I'm not a slave. I, I, I'm, I'm a son and daughter of him. Verse 28, there is no Jew or Greek Slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. 
this is in regards to salvation. This, this, you know, we don't want to twist this scripture in, in any way that would, that would step into a modern day, some type of, you know, redefinition of the genders. That's, that's, you know, I didn't even think about that until I looked at the scripture again today. You know, so if anyone ever says, well, the Bible says there's no, no male or female, no, it, that's in the context of receiving salvation. But, but it's very clear. And we all, we all know that God created them male and he created them female. So there's no Jew or Greek, even though those people still knew they were Jew and they still knew they were Greek. There's no free or slave, and we know that was a, a social status, so we're still aware of our social status. There's no male or female, since you're all one in Christ Jesus. When it comes to receiving salvation, when it comes to justification by faith, there's no difference there. Verse 29, and if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. Remember earlier, he said he didn't say seeds. He said, you're Abraham's seed through Christ. Heirs according to what? The what? To the promise, not the law. You're heirs of the promise. Grandpa promised you the Mustang and it's yours. It doesn't matter what anyone else writes down because everyone has heard the promise and his word is more powerful than than a contract. His word's more powerful than earthly power. And I'm going to tell you this, when pastors try to manipulate you and get you to doubt the promise to control your behavior, they're not really teaching the full scope of the New Testament scripture. So I'm trying to protect you here because some of the most enjoyable, can we say that, or effective preaching causes people to be insecure of who they are in Jesus. And so what does it do? It pulls people away from Jesus. And it makes people think they're not in the family. And, and I'm, I'm going to tell you this, is that, is that just as that contract, that contract does not, does not overcome the promise of God. I'm going to tell you this, bad teaching and bad preaching that you may have been under doesn't change what God did for you. There's a guy that I really respect who was just in a really toxic church situation that I knew about, but he kept being faithful to church. He kept being, he was faithful, faithful. And, and I knew of his situation. So I asked him, I said, how, I was trying to encourage him. And I said, how are you still involved in church after all you've been through at toxic churches? And he said, God didn't mess me up, man did. I said, well, that'll work. That'll preach, Right. Here's my last scripture today, and, and whoever's going to do the closing song can come up. I, get, I heard last week I kept saying, as Pastor Aubrey sings, and Josh Johnson's standing back there going, <laughs> I've been renamed. It's like a Saul to Paul thing. He's down in Mexico saying, hi, my name's Pastor Aubrey right now. <laughs> Let's go to Hebrews who explains Judaism that has opened up to all of us. But Jesus has now obtained a superior ministry. And to the degree that he is a mediator of, I love this phrase, a better covenant, which has been established on better promises. This is why we love him so much. For if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion for a second one. Paul told 
those in Galatians, you started, you started in faith. You started with promise. And I know these Judaizers are coming in now and saying it's Jesus plus something else. But I want to tell you this. He was defending the faith. He says it's Jesus. He is the complete sufficiency. He is everything. And put verse 6 of Hebrews chapter 8 back up for me again. Jesus has attained a superior ministry, a better covenant, and a better promise. And so when we sing those beautiful songs that Pastor Aubrey, I turned around to make sure it was you, and his team led us in. And when we bring our offerings to the Lord, like we talked about earlier, when we open the word of God to see what the Lord said to our brothers and sisters in Galatia all those years ago, and he's saying the same thing to us now. And now as we respond to the Lord, we are in a new covenant, brothers and sisters. We're in something better. We're in something superior. We're in something that, that, is, that is necessary because the first system didn't work out. The New Testament, not the Old Testament. The New Covenant, not the Old Covenant. And what does it mean? It means you're free in the Lord to live a holy life for Jesus. You're free to, to be that gold medal skater that I talked about about four weeks ago. That it's been settled because of Jesus. Now, how shall we live? We're going to live in reckless abandon for the Lord. We're, we're, we're going to give everything to him in spirit leadership. I don't know if reckless, maybe, I don't know, that's, just, that's a phrase that we've, we've become part of our language, but I don't know if we're going to be reckless. We're going to be spirit-led, spirit-led to follow Jesus completely. Well, we're going to have some time to respond to the Lord today. And some of you have received uh, the little packets of communion and and you'll be able to, to use those if you want to, to um, use those packets. But we started last week uh, offering communion here at the front again. And um, I didn't know if anybody would come down and like two thirds of you guys came down. So um, the people on TV said, man, it was a really bad visual. So uh, we, 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 knew, we do need to keep some spacing. So what's going to happen is Pastor Daniel is going to start at the front row here at the middle. And, he, and he's just going to, for those who want to come down, I know not all of you will. He's, just, he's going to dismiss you guys row by row so we can keep pace. And just, just keep, keep a, you know, whatever appropriate amount of distance between the person in front of you unless, you, unless you're, you're here with them. And then um, we'll offer the table of order. We're not in a hurry down here, too. I know sometimes it feels like we're in a hurry. But if you want to, if you want to take a moment and... and eat the bread and drink the cup. Don't worry about the line. And Pastor Chip may have a word of prophecy for you. I might have a word for you. And I don't want to feel rushed. If, if, if the Lord happens to give us a word for somebody, we're, we're not going to get anxious, okay? So you don't have to take communion. If you want to pray with a, someone you love that you're here, that's good. If you want to come to these steps, that's like an altar. If you want to just dig your Bible back out, you can do that too. Let's stand together. And um, we have a prayer of confession that helps us direct our hearts to the Lord. Let me give you one other word of instruction. When you, when you receive the bread, you can just put your hands out here and Chip will, will give that to you. And then I'll hand you the little miniature cups that we used to use. We're, we're not doing intention right now. And so we'll go from there. So 
Uh, let's pray this together. Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, set up your kingdom in our midst. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Holy Spirit, breath of the living God, renew me and all of the world.